Thank you for downloading this sermon from Heritage Baptist Church. We are so glad that you did. We believe that biblically faithful, Christ-centered, God-glorifying local churches are the primary means that God has chosen to expand His kingdom. If you are part of such a church, we hope that this message will supplement your spiritual diet. If you aren't yet part of such a church, we would love for you to visit us. For more details, please check out our website www.heritagebaptist.co.za Well, good morning. Continue our series in uh, First Chronicles. And uh, we're in chapter 22 today, so if you have your Bibles, please turn there. I'm going to read through the chapter and then we'll uh, we'll draw out some points from the text. So, First Chronicles chapter 22. So reading from verse 1. Then David said, Here shall be the house of the Lord God, and here the altar of burnt offering for Israel. David commanded to gather together the resident aliens who were in the land of Israel, and he set stone cutters to prepare dressed stones for building the house of God. David also provided great quantities of iron for nails, for the doors of the gates, and for clamps, as well as bronze in quantities beyond weighing, and cedar timbers without number, for the Sidonians and Tyrians brought great quantities of cedar to David. For David said, Solomon, my son, is young and inexperienced, and the house that is to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent, of fame and glory throughout all lands. I will therefore make preparation for it. So David provided materials in great quantity before his death. Then he called for Solomon, his son, and charged him to build a house for the Lord, the God of Israel. David said to Solomon, My son, I had it in my heart to build a house to the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, You have shed much blood and have waged great wars. You shall not build a house to my name, because you have shed so much blood before me on the earth. Behold, a son shall be born to you who shall be a man of rest. I will give him rest from all his surrounding enemies, for his name shall be Solomon, and I will give peace and quiet to Israel in his days. He shall build a house for my name. He shall be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish his royal throne in Israel forever. Now, my son, the Lord be with you, so that you may succeed in building the house of the Lord your God, as he has spoken concerning you. Only may the Lord grant you discretion and understanding that when he gives you charge over Israel, you may keep the law of the Lord your God. Then you will prosper if you are careful to observe the statutes and the rules that the Lord commanded Moses for Israel. Be strong and courageous. Fear not. Do not be dismayed. With great pains I have provided for the house of the Lord a hundred thousand talents of gold, a million talents of silver and bronze and iron beyond weighing, 
for there is so much of it. Timber and stone, too, I have provided. To these you must add. You have an abundance of workmen, stone cutters, masons, carpenters, and all kinds of craftsmen without number, skilled in working gold, silver, bronze, and iron. Arise and work. The Lord be with you. David also commanded all the leaders of Israel to help Solomon his son, saying, Is not the Lord your God with you? And has he not given you peace on every side? For he has delivered the inhabitants of the land into my hand, and the land is subdued before the Lord and his people. Now set your mind and heart to seek the Lord your God. Arise and build the sanctuary of the Lord God, so that the ark of the covenant of the Lord and the holy vessels of God may be brought into a house built for the name of the Lord. This is the reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. Uh, so, just a little bit of background. If you want to know more background, you can, you can go and listen to the previous sermons as we work our, our way through Chronicles. But uh, the previous chapter, we saw that in spite of David's sin, the Lord used David's sin actually to uh, get a piece of land, the land of uh, Aruna the Jebusite, the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite, for the temple. And so you see that in verse 1. Here, David says, shall be the house of the Lord God, and here the altar of burnt offering for Israel. And so that piece of land is the land where the temple was going to be built. And so we come now to the next stage, and uh, I've divided this uh, chapter up into four sections, four aspects that we're going to look at. David's desire, David's disappointment, David's determination, and David's directive. So David's desire, David's disappointment, David's determination, and David's directive. So let's begin with David's desire. So look at verse 7. David said to Solomon, My son, I had it in my heart to build a house to the name of the Lord my God. And so here we see David's heart. David says to his son Solomon, This was in my heart. This was my desire. This was my passion. This is something that I wanted to do. I wanted to build a house to the Lord. I wanted to build a temple. And I wanted to build this glorious temple to the Lord. It was uh, what, what really, sort of, you could say, got David up in the morning. This is what he wanted to do. It was his heart's desire. It was a noble desire, a good desire to build the temple of the Lord. That's what he wanted to do. And so then the application is, what's in your heart? What are your desires? This was David's desire. He wanted to glorify God by building a temple for him. Uh, what is the desire of your heart? What is ultimate in your heart? Uh, I can't answer that. You would have to examine yourself. But for every one of us, we are called to love the Lord our God with all our heart. Our primary desire is to love the Lord. Love him and love one another and the great expression of that is to build his kingdom, to uh, evangelize others and to build up God's people. In the Old Testament, we see the building of the temple, an actual physical building. When we come to the New Testament, we see that the emphasis is no longer on the temple. It's no longer on a physical building. That was a shadow, a type that pointed to 
the true temple, a spiritual temple, uh, which is Jesus Christ, and then we are part of that temple, and so Peter can say we are living stones. So uh, what would be a good desire for each one of us is to build the church of Jesus Christ. Uh, that is the kingdom of God. Uh, is that primary in your life? It's not to say you can't have other desires, and we'll look at that. But if your desires are simply sinful and selfish, if you have no concern for the people of God or the things of God, then uh, that, is, that is ungodly. That's idolatry. But David here has a good desire. This was in his heart. This is what he wanted to do. But it's not to be. And so the second point is David's disappointment. And so look at verse 8. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, You have shed much blood and have waged great wars. You shall not build a house to my name. And so the Lord comes to David and says to him, Really, you will not get to fulfill your heart's desire. Now, I think we live in a world that it's basically seen as a fundamental human right to fulfill your heart's desires. I think that's, you know, probably somewhere in the United Nations manifesto, uh, <laughs> along with water and education, is the right to fulfill your heart's desires. Whatever you desire, we should have the right to do it. But when we come to Scripture, we find that's not the case. And here we have an example. David wanted to do this, and it was a good thing. I'm not talking about sinful desires or evil desires. Of course, that's ungodly. That would be uh, wrong for us to desire those things. But many of us have good desires, no doubt. Godly desires. But you know what the Lord may say to you? you will not, that, that desire will not be fulfilled in, in your life. And that's an incredibly painful thing. This would have been a painful thing for David to hear. It was his passion, his desire, his heart's desire to build a temple. He was excited about doing it. He wanted to do it. Even Nathan, the prophet, said to him, it's a good thing. The Lord comes to him and says, no, you will not build that temple. You will not build the temple. You will not fulfill your heart's desire. And no doubt there probably all of us actually, uh, and if you haven't experienced it yet, you're just too young, but time will come where many of your dreams and your heart's desires will be dashed on the rocks of reality and God's sovereignty, and God will say, that is not for you. Maybe you have you know, great godly desires. You want, to see, you want to be used by God to see many people saved. Say, Lord, please use me. Use me at university. I want to reach many people. And they just seem to be frustrated. There doesn't seem to be much fruit. You invite all your friends over and over again to church and they don't come. And you have these desires and yet it's not fulfilled. You have a desire to marry. Have a godly home. You have all these visions. You say, I want to have a godly home. I want to have a home that's a sanctuary, a place where we can show hospitality and, and you envision all these things and it's a good desire. It's a wonderful desire. It's, it's good to desire these things and yet the Lord seems to stop it. And you don't get that desire. Or a desire to have children. 
Say, Lord, I want to have children. I want to raise them up in, in your ways. I want to teach them your ways. I want, uh, this is what I want to do, and I want to build a family. And that's part of building God's kingdom. Children in the church is the ordinary means historically of God growing the church. And it's a good desire. And yet the Lord does not allow it. Maybe you, you have a desire. Lord, I want to have more strength and energy to serve you. Why do I have this illness? Why do I have this, this physical weakness? Why do I, at times when I can't even get out of bed, I'm in so much pain. I want to do so much more for you. I know that you've given me these gifts and abilities and faculties and I could do so much more. Why? Why do you not give it to me? But the Lord, in his sovereignty, at times will say, even if it's your heart's desire and it's a good desire, he will at times say, you will not do this. Maybe you think, Lord, I want, to, I want to work hard and study hard and get a good job so I can be successful in my career, not so I can just, you know, get an M3 or something. <laughs> I, want to, I want to be successful so that I can bring salt and light into the corporate world, into the business world. I want to employ as many people as possible so I can help uh, build the economy and, and care for families. I want, to, I want to be successful so I can support the church in ministry and fund those in ministry and plant churches and all of these things, good desires. And yet at every point it seems to be frustrated, stopped at every place. And the Lord says it's not for you. can be devastating to not achieve your heart's desires, especially when they're good desires. You're saying, Lord, this is for your kingdom. This is what I want. And the Lord says, no. And that's what he did to David. He said, David, you will not build this temple. I know it's your heart's desire. I know it's what you want to do. And so if you go into a church that tells you, you know, whatever you you desire and whatever your heart desires, the Lord will give it to you. Well, I'm here to tell you from Scripture that's not the case. And if you're honest with life, you will know that's not the case. But how does David respond and how are we to respond? And so that brings us to our third point, David's determination. It is incredible how David responds. You know, he could have responded by being angry, upset, Could have been tempted to walk away from the Lord. I just want to serve you and this is a good thing and you withhold it from me. But he doesn't respond like that. He responds by doing everything in his power to help the one who will get to fulfill that, that dream. His son Solomon. And so that's what the Lord had told David. He said, David, you will not build this temple. You will not build this house. But your son will, will build it. And so David determines to get everything ready. And he does it in two ways. First of all, by fighting. By going to war. At the end of the passage, David tells the other leaders, he says, I have brought peace to Israel David fought basically his whole life. He was at war his whole life so that Solomon could be a man of peace. 
so that Israel could have rest. David defeated all the enemies of Israel. He was a man of war. That's how we know David. What is he most famous for? Killing Goliath. He was a courageous, brave man. His anointing was in warfare. You can go and read in, in Samuel when, when David doesn't go and fight and he sends Joab. Joab doesn't win. It takes ages. It's only when David pitches up that victory comes. And so he has to fight. And so let me say this to you. Some of you, you won't get to fulfill your, your heart's desires. You won't get to fulfill what you really long for. You are the one that will have to do the heavy lifting for someone else. 1 Corinthians 3, David, uh, Paul says this. You know, one plants, one waters, God gives the increase. That's sort of the idea. Uh, you know, you might long. I want to see many souls saved. But the Lord uses you to really go in and start plowing people's hearts open, planting the seed, and you never get to harvest. You say, Lord, I want to see people saved. I'm sharing the gospel. I'm inviting people. Why? Why not? Well, you're planting the seed. You're doing what David does. You're, you're fighting. You're doing the hard, the hard work now. Think of church history. Think of the early church, the martyrs. In the Roman Empire, the first few centuries, Christians were slaughtered. Hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions of them killed over the centuries. And then eventually, freedom came. The councils could meet and formulate the creeds and confessions, understand deep theology, because it was a time of peace. They could do it now. Think of missionaries going into unreached people groups, having to fight. You know, you read some of the, the testimonies of missionaries. Let me encourage you to do that. Some of them will, will preach for, for years and years and years, decades, without seeing a single convert. Could you do that? They had to fight and fight and fight and fight. And then someone else comes along after them and there's revival. Thousands are converted. But if it wasn't for the one who fought, if it wasn't for the one who, who didn't receive any glory, I was thinking about it, isn't it amazing? We know, we know this temple, it doesn't exist anymore, but it is known as Solomon's temple. That's what it's known as. It's not known as David's temple. Solomon got the glory for that temple. It was a glorious temple. And yet it was in David's heart. David is the one who prepared for it. And so it may be that you are preparing for another person. You are, you are making way for someone else. You are fighting the battles. Now think of the reformers. The Protestant Reformation, how they had to fight for truth, for precious doctrines that we, we have freely available now, and we know them. And so it might be that you are called to fight, whatever way it is. It might be to contend for the faith. It might be to persevere in the midst of difficulties, in the midst of seemingly no fruit. But you persevere, you keep fighting so that others who come after will know peace. The labors, all your labors will eventually bear, bear fruit. 
And so David doesn't, you know, just withdraw and say, well, I can't build a temple. I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to sulk. <laughs> uh, you know, forget this. But he commits himself to preparing everything for his, his son. The second thing he does is he gets all the material ready for the temple. He can't build it, but he's going to get everything ready. And it's quite a remarkable list. He even gets all the stones cut beforehand. Okay. He gets iron for the nails and the clamps and the fittings. He gets bronze. He gets cedar wood. He gets incredible amounts. Look at verse 14. With great pains I have provided for the house of the Lord a hundred thousand talents of gold, a million talents of silver, and bronze and iron beyond weighing. And so he provided all of this. This is hyperbolic language. It's not to be taken literally. This is an astronomical amount, almost, you know, uncountable. It's hyperbolic language because remember, it's it's just to it's uh, the way the authors would write to uh, to show the grandeur of of the temple. It might be foreign to our ears, maybe especially with a Western influence that it's not very exact. But it was common at that time. That was the way people spoke. Nobody took it literally, but he's saying, I've given, I've prepared. I've got all, the, all, the, all that is needed to build a temple. And so he worked hard. Notice what it says there in verse 14. With great pains, I have provided for the house. With great affliction, with great suffering. And so if, if you, you know, the Lord removes one desire from you, the temptation is to give up, to be devastated. Lord, I wanted to do this. This is my dream. This is what I always wanted. And you've taken it away from me. And then you respond by saying, well, I'm going to seek to help others. Maybe I'm going to help my children. I always, I always think of, of that, you know, generationally. I think that's, we, we ought to think like that. The Bible talks like that to say, Lord, well, let me help my children be better than me. Let me help my children do better than me. And by God's grace, my grandchildren, and so on and so on. To say, well, what, what can we do now to prepare for the next generation? How can we help them? My, my own just share my own heart. I mean, when it comes to dreams, I can only share my own, my own heart. Uh, but uh, uh, Natalie always thinks it's a bit, bit uh, out of character for me. So I don't think I'm pessimistic. I think I'm a realist, you know. But then I've been told that's what all pessimists say. Uh, <laughs> um, but I'll tell you, there's one thing I'm not pessimistic about. It's the power of the gospel. And I have a heart's desire. My heart is that there's 8 million people in Greater Johannesburg. I don't know of a single reformed evangelical church in Johannesburg that has over 1,000 people. To me, that's in a, you know, it's nearly an abomination. Okay? How is it? I can't believe, Lord, I, I'm, I'm like... Paul, with the, when the Lord says to Paul, I have many people in the city. Lord, you must have many people in the city. I, I, my heart's desire is that there would be thousands of people at Heritage Baptist Church. It would be full to, to, you know, massive with people praising God, receiving sound theology, 
glorifying God, living out the, the gospel in every sphere of life, being salt and light in the political world, in the corporate world, being, being entrepreneurs who start businesses and show people that it's, it's not about greed and, and selfishness. It's about serving others to see families grow in strength and husbands and wives grow in, in love and respect for one another and, and children loving Christ and all of these things. That's my, my dream. Uh, I, and I don't know what the Lord will do. I don't know any of those things. He's, he's been so gracious and kind. But you can't sit and sulk and say, well, I don't see that. What, what you do is you keep on building, keep on preparing, keep on sowing, keep on discipling. And that's what David does here. He prepares everything, and it's painful because what he wanted to do, he's not able to do, and at great cost to himself. And later on in Chronicles chapter 29, you see how much he gives from his own wealth. Remember we saw last week when he buys the, the property. Aruna says to him, I'll give it to you for free. And he says, no ways. I, I will not take something that doesn't cost me anything. It's a, it's a sacrifice. It is a cost to say, I'm going to prepare for others. I'm going to help others. I'm going to serve others and help them build the kingdom of God. And so he gathers all of these materials because he knows this building must be awesome. Look at what he says in 1 Chronicles 22 verse 5. For David said, Solomon, my son, is young and inexperienced, and the house that is to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent of fame and glory throughout all lands. It was one of the seven wonders of the world, of the ancient world, temples, uh, Solomon's temple, full of gold. Everything was covered in gold and cedar, beautiful wood and carvings and engravings. It was glorious. And David said, this temple must be exceedingly magnificent fame and glory throughout all the lands. And that should be our desire for the church. Not the building. If we are able to build, we want to show that the Christian worldview impacts all of life, including aesthetics, beauty, truth, and goodness. That Christianity is not just about Sunday. It's all of life. We do things excellently and in decently and in order. But that's not the focus it's this church, the spiritual church, the body of Christ, that we want it to be beautiful. When you read in Scripture, read in Revelation, chapter 21, when the angel says to John, come, let me show you the bride of Christ, the church. And then John goes to have a look, and it's a, it's a building. But it's glorious, beautiful, precious stones, gold, and so the church in Christ is beautiful, but uh, we, want, we want to be beautiful. We want to be seen to show the love of Christ. The church has such a bad reputation, doesn't it, by and large? Now, I know it's not the true church, all of that. I know there's a false church that is full of lies and false gospels, and people confuse that with true Christianity. But you know, in, the, in, the, in ancient Rome, in the early church, People didn't like, you know, necessarily like the doctrines, but they knew, that, and we have documents from that time, they knew that these Christians were loving people. 
for whatever they said about their theology and their doctrines and their, what they called superstitions, they could not deny that Christians were loving, kind people. And remember what Jesus said to his disciples, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples by the love you have for one another. You can have all the theology in the world. If we don't actually love one another and love our enemies and love the world, we won't be known as beautiful. And so you must, you must seek to build the kingdom of God, build the church, be beautiful. Show love. Let me say to you, when was the last time you showed love in the world? When was the last time you just invited a work colleague who's, who's batting and said, can I buy you a coffee? Just show compassion to people. Instead of being angry and upset with your boss the whole time and moaning about him, have you ever tried to draw alongside him or her to find out what's going on in their life? To be their friend? To show them the love of Christ? Or those maybe you oversee or uh, colleagues at, at, at university, wherever it is, to come alongside them to show them the love of Christ. You see, you must have a purpose in life. And David didn't say, well, if I can't do that, I'll do nothing. He shifted his purpose. He changed it. And Charles Spurgeon on this passage says this, you, must, you and I must have a purpose to life, a noble purpose. He says to have a noble purpose and to pursue that purpose with all your might prevents your being like dumb, driven cattle. If you don't have a noble, a, something great that you are living for, then you will just be pushed. You would have to be driven to do everything. Okay. Be like children with homework. Okay. Come on, do it. Come on, do it. Come on. Have you studied yet? Have you done this? You just have to be driven the whole time, your whole life. And the pastors in the church will just have to drive you and push you and push you because you don't, you're not living for anything bigger. But if you have a noble pur purpose, it lifts you, Spurgeon says, it lifts you out of the mist and fog of the valley and sets your feet upon the hilltop where you can commune with God. Listen to what he says to young Christians. I would suggest to our younger friends that they should begin their Christian life with a high purpose and that they should never forget that purpose. And if trouble should come, they should say, let it come. My face is set like a flint to do this work to which my Lord has called me and I will pursue it with all my might. If you're not living for a higher calling than instant gratification or more money or anything, You won't be satisfied, you'll become frustrated. But if you're living for something higher, the glory of God and the building of His kingdom, you will have a purpose. And no matter what comes, you will endure because you're living for something greater. And so that was David's determination. And the more I think about it, and the more I meditate upon it, it is amazing. He did not get his heart's desire, but it did not destroy him. He shifted to say, okay, I'm not going to get that. What can I do to help that, though? And if the Lord removes a desire, 
Don't despair. Start to think, well, what can I do otherwise? Lord, you've, not, you've chosen in your sovereignty not to give me that. What do you want me to do? Where can I serve? Where can I help in? In other ways. And then lastly, point four, David's directive. This is his directive to his son. He, he directs his son Solomon. In verse 11. Now, my son, the Lord be with you, so that you may succeed in building the house of the Lord your God, as he has spoken concerning you. Only may the Lord grant you discretion and understanding, that when he gives you charge over Israel, you may keep the law of the Lord your God. Then you will prosper if you are careful to observe the statutes and the rules that the Lord commanded Moses for Israel. Be strong and courageous. Fear not. Do not be dismayed. Arise and work. The Lord be with you. That's, I've jumped down to verse 16 there. Arise and work. The Lord be with you. As I read this and studied it during the week, it reminded me of the Great Commission. Matthew 28. I see lots of similarities here. Solomon is uh, young. He is afraid. You remember when the Lord comes to him and says, you know, choose what you would like. And he says, well, I, I would like wisdom because I, you know, this is a great nation and I'm young. I need wisdom. And so you can understand he is afraid. And the, his father comes to him and says, don't be afraid. Obey the Lord. Keep his commandments. All that he has taught you, but he will be with you. You see, that's how it ends. It begins and ends with that. The Lord be with you. And when you go to Matthew 28, the great commission at the end of Matthew's gospel, Jesus has risen from the dead and he then meets with his disciples, but we are told that many of them were afraid. They doubted. They didn't know what was next. And the Lord comes to them in verse 18 and says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing, the na baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Obey my commandments. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. To go out and serve, to serve when maybe it's not your first heart's desire, to persevere when it's a time of fighting, contending for the faith, being persecuted in, at home, at varsity, at work because of your faith. It's a fearful thing. It can be a very scary thing to be rejected, to be humiliated. But what is the promise here? The promise is the Lord says, I will be with you. To the end of the age. I will, whatever you go through, the Lord will be with you. That's his promise to his children. That he is with us. Whatever he calls us to, he is with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Don't give up in, in building his, his kingdom. Arise and do the work. Commit to doing that today. Say, Lord, what are the ways that I can serve better? How can I serve you better in every sphere of my life? So it's not just here on Sundays or something, but your whole life is to be lived for the, the glory of God. 
And so whether you're called to be a David, you know, fighting, preparing for another who will get to fulfill your dream, keep working. Whether you're called to be a Solomon, maybe you're a Solomon, everyone else labors and plants the seed and you harvest. The Lord blesses you. Many people are converted through your ministry or things go nicely for you. You know a season of peace. Whether you're a David or a Solomon, whatever situation you find yourself in, the Lord is with you. Jesus Christ is with you in that. And as we've said before, David is a type of Christ. And it is quite remarkable that the Lord Jesus comes to earth and Humanly speaking, his life is not a success, is it? Uh, There is no doubt that Jesus Christ was the greatest preacher who ever lived. Um, The wisdom, the, the power, the illustrations, think of the parables... Think of the the poetic beauty of Matthew 23, all of these things. He was, of course, he was the greatest preacher. He he studied the Word of God. He knew the Scriptures and he used that. He was the greatest preacher who ever lived and yet he never saw revival. He never saw everyone converted. Very few people were saved under the ministry of the Lord Jesus. At the end of his life, the people closest to him ran away. It, it seems an absolute failure. You know, that you know, charismatic people, dynamic pe- people can seduce others that they will even give their lives. You have cult leaders who will get people to, you know, to kill themselves. The Lord Jesus, everyone left him. All have forsaken me. They left him. They betrayed him. They denied him. In the upper room at Pentecost, there's 120 people. After his whole life and three and a half years of full-time ministry, the greatest preacher who ever lived, the Son of God, maybe 120 people. You'd say, well, that's a failure. What, what has he done? What has he achieved? We don't often get an insight into the emotional life of the Lord Jesus Christ, but the, the servant songs in Isaiah give us a window into the heart of the Lord Jesus. Isaiah 49 says this, The Father says to Jesus, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. And listen to Jesus' response. Verse 4, But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Isn't that incredible? Think of the Lord Jesus as a hu- in his humanity. Remember, he was fully human. And so as, as you maybe labor for years in ministry and, and it, there doesn't seem to much to happen, so that's exactly what Jesus felt. I have wasted my time. I have labored in vain. All this ministry, all this teaching, all these miracles, and at the end of it, everyone forsakes him. In his humanity, this is the feeling. This is what he felt. Did he get to build the temple fully? Did he get to see what we see? Did he get to harvest what we see now? Remember, he says to his disciples, you will do greater works. Peter's first sermon, 
3,000 men are converted. The Lord Jesus never saw that in his humanity. But like David, he prepared everything for us. He fought the battle. He conquered our enemies. He conquered Satan, death. He prepared. He's given us the Holy Spirit, all the gifts that we need. We have been prepared. He has fought so that we can know peace. Peace with God. Can be right with God. And yet now we get to continue to build the temple of God. The Lord is with us. And so let me encourage you and challenge you. Uh, Whatever the Lord has withheld from you, maybe in terms of a dream, a heart's desire, don't let that stop you from serving him. He is with us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. Live for a higher calling, a noble purpose. Amen. Let's, let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you so much for the example of David and how he points us to your son, the Lord Jesus. Lord, we thank you for his example that even though he he had a a noble desire, a heart desire, a passion to do something that was good and right, you took it away from him, but he did not withdraw, he did not become bitter and angry, but he committed to to keep fighting, to keep serving, to, to do what he could. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you have done for us. In the midst of weakness, you kept fighting for us. You conquered death, hell, and the grave. You conquered sin. Even though you were rejected and forsaken, despised, hated, spat upon, humiliated, you kept going. You set your face as a flint towards Jerusalem. And so we ask that you would help us, Lord. We too pray that you would bless our endeavors. We pray that Uh, You would build your church in a wonderful way, Lord. Keep growing. Save many, many people. We long to see thousands praising your name. And whether we get to see it in our lifetime or not, may we keep serving you, keep building, keep preparing, keep fighting. Give us strength to do this, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.